it's really important to understand that the lifestyle piece becomes much more important in middle age. So how much you sleep, high quality sleep, anti-inflammatory nutrition, stress management, and that is not two minutes of meditation. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Back in the fall of 2018, I finally decided to give intermittent fasting a try because after I dove into all the research studies, I found that the benefits of lowered blood pressure, cellular autophagy, also known as the cellular cleanup our cells do, weight loss, boosted energy, and more focus Well, it all just felt too good to be true. Plus, the biggest reason why I chose to try intermittent fasting out for the first time was to help move my body into a state of more metabolic flexibility, where I could move from a sugar-burning state to a fat-burning state more easily, which I knew would really support brain function and overall energy expenditure. Now, lo and behold, it was a game changer for me. Boosted energy was the first thing I experienced after giving myself about seven days to adjust to my eight-hour eating window schedule. Now, after about two to four weeks, I felt more focused, my blood sugar levels got into an optimal range, and I lost a little bit of weight. Even today, and I'm just going to preface this with I'm still breastfeeding at 15 months, There are most days of the week that I maintain a 12 to 14 hour nighttime fasting window because I want to give my body an opportunity to reset, help my mitochondria, get boosted, support my circadian rhythms, and then burn off any excess glycogen that my liver may be holding onto for stored energy, really just to keep myself metabolically flexible. Now, I will say that I did not practice any type of intermittent fasting the first nine months of breastfeeding outside of the occasional 12-hour nighttime fasting window from when I finished dinner at 7 p.m. to when I had a green smoothie to break my fast around seven o'clock in the morning. So it was just kind of a natural from dinner to breakfast time that I was just honoring my body. Now, I will say when it comes to breastfeeding and fasting, because I get these questions all the time, so I thought I'd spend a little bit of time on this, there is still not a lot of research regarding intermittent fasting and breastfeeding. But what is out there recommends that no more than 12 to 14 hour fasting windows at night. That way you don't disrupt your body's ability to make nutrient dense breast milk. And again, this is for women who are actually breastfeeding. Note that I am all for what feels the best for you, getting where you fit in when it comes to feeding your child. Now, personally, as I've dove into the little research that's out there, it's my recommendation as well. I do not recommend a fasting window of any kind before six months postpartum. And I also don't recommend a fasting window more than 14 hours a couple times a week. I find that a safer window would be a 12-hour window, again, from dinner until breakfast the next morning, because I think that's just the natural occurrence of allowing our circadian rhythm to get on track, supporting that little metabolic flexibility, and boosting those mitochondria. Now, as you can imagine... Breastfeeding requires a ton of resources and nutrients, and fasting for prolonged periods of time can really mess with that and decrease the amount of nutrients that the baby is getting from your breast milk. Another side note for my breastfeeding mamas out there is it's important to know that while breastfeeding, your body is going to reach a fasting state way faster than if you were not breastfeeding. And that's because breastfeeding uses up all the glycogen, fat, glucose, and other nutrients faster 
than anything out there in order to produce breast milk. Hence, it may only take 48 hours to reach a fasting state in the first months of breastfeeding. So just something to think about, right? Your body's already just burning and burning and burning through everything. There's just really no need to be fasting, especially when you're breastfeeding those first six to nine months. Again, for me, just making sure my brain's working properly, everything's working properly. I usually stop eating dinner at seven at the latest, and then I will have breakfast. I'll break my fast at seven o'clock in the morning so that I get that little 12-hour window. And then you know I make sure that I'm eating all the nutrient-dense food and just loving up on my body with good hormone-loving foods throughout the whole day so that I'm never sacrificing those nutrients for Kingston. But enough about fasting windows and breastfeeding. The only reason why I wanted to bring it up is because I wanted to just share what my experience has been um, these last few months. Um, and I know that there's a lot of women who, who wonder about this, and I just wanted to bring it up because I don't think we talk about it enough. Now, today's conversation is all about intermittent fasting in women and as we move through the different phases in our life, right? Because you and I both know we go through all kinds of phases in our life from reproductive years to perimenopause and menopause, right? And beyond. And it's important to know how our bodies and our metabolisms really are functioning when we are shifting the way that we eat, when we eat, how we eat, right? All of that needs to be taken into consideration because here's the deal, whether we like it or not, What worked for us in our 20s doesn't work for us in our mid-30s or our 40s, and especially in our 50s and beyond. Our metabolism slows down, and there are other factors that impact our bodies, like inflammatory foods, insulin resistance, a sluggish liver, decrease in muscle mass, just to name a few, right? There's a lot of different factors going on here. Now, given all the changes that take place in our body, it's important to take into account that there are levers that we can pull to support our bodies. We also need to take into account our hormones and what may be causing any hormone disruption, right? So three of the biggest benefits of intermittent fasting when it's done right for your body is increased energy, decreased weight resistance, and boosting insulin sensitivity. And these are massive wins when you look at the most disruptive symptoms that women are struggling with today, right? We are struggling with low energy, stubborn weight gain, and brain fog. So if intermittent fasting done right for you, and again, you are your highest authority, and that's what we're going to dive into today, that if we could support the energy, the stubborn weight gain, and the brain fog, then it is a mega win. So probably the two benefits that I love the most about intermittent fasting is one, boosting mitochondrial function that improves our energy across the board. And number two is cellular autophagy. And that's when your cells have the opportunity to do some spring cleaning to reduce inflammation and clean up all the junk and waste and toxins that may be building up in the cells. When we eat too often all the time, our cells never have an opportunity to do that. Now, my guest today, Cynthia Thurlow, feels the exact same way. And she is living her best life through following the principles she has studied for women in their 30s, 40s, and beyond. Now, before we jump into solutions women can absolutely implement, I want to quickly sing her praises. Cynthia Thurlow is a nurse practitioner and the CEO of the founder Everyday Wellness Project and an international speaker. She has a TEDx talk with over 9.6 million views. It's all about intermittent fasting, transformational techniques. With over 20 experience in health and wellness, she is a globally recognized expert in intermittent fasting, and she has a new book that's out that is phenomenal that we're going to be getting into today. So let's welcome Cynthia to the show. 
Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through this super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Cynthia, honey, how are you doing today, girl? I'm doing great. I've been so looking forward to connecting with you today. Me too. Oh, I am so excited for our conversation today. I am ever the more excited about your book that I read cover to cover, girl. And I have it here, right here. Do you want to you wanna hold it up yourself? So we both hold it up. <laughs> As it's, it's not even out yet when this is, we're, we're recording this, but when this goes live, it will be out. Intermittent Fasting Transformation. I love it. The IF45 plan. You know what? You speak to all of us. You speak to me. You speak to my community. You speak to women. You have got it dialed. Because what you and I both know is women are not small men. That's right. And, and that is what this book is about, is like, how can we make this work for us? And so we're going to be talking about intermittent fasting. I know a lot of people have been hearing a bit about it. Some people are trying it. Some people are trying to figure it out. Cynthia, honey, what was, what was the impetus for you for this becoming such a big purpose for you? I think really, I mean, the honest answer is, mm -hmm. uh, even though I'm a nurse practitioner, even though I have a great relationship with my mom, with my GYN, with my girlfriends, Nothing prepared me for perimenopause, the five to 10 years preceding menopause. And I hit perimenopause like a wall. Like I was doing all the wrong things. I was exercising too hard. I was not getting enough sleep. I had a super stressful job working for a very large cardiology practice. My husband traveled a lot. I had two young kids. And I just got to a point where I literally was like, what is wrong with me? I was gaining weight. I couldn't sleep. I was exhausted all the time. I was developing food sensitivities. And so in many ways, I think fasting was a strategy that I was curious about. And I read a book by Jason Fung, and that gave me the courage to actually believe this was a real entity, that this was something that had some scientific backing. And obviously a lot of people were getting great results from it. And within probably three to five days of starting the intermittent fast, I felt so much better. I had more mental clarity. I started to sleep better. I think a lot of women come to intermittent fasting out of a desire to change body composition or lose weight. And let's be clear, that was part of my curiosity about it. For sure. But we stay for all the other benefits. And so that's how that started. And unknowingly not realizing that me and my N of one would then trickle down to, I, I literally, this bled into the work I was doing with patients and clients because at that point I already had a kind of like a solo gig on the side outside of my nurse practitioner job. And for me, I started seeing more and more connections, more and more things about different strategies. I would use different styles of fasting. What were the things that helped women make it easier? And then the acknowledgement that, you know, we have to fast differently. Like we feel on so many levels as women, we have to apologize for our biology. We have to apologize 
for our physiology. And I would actually encourage women to lean into it and to stop apologizing. And as you said, we are not many men, but we have, we are wonderfully different than men, wonderfully and beautifully different than men. And if we lean into our physiology, it makes fasting a whole lot more accessible and irrespective of where we are in life stage, like women that are still at peak fertile years versus perimenopause versus menopause and not really looking at it as something that you just do temporarily. It's oftentimes something women can do throughout their lifetime. There are obviously specific times when they shouldn't. But for me, I I feel like it's a, a tremendously powerful way for women to take back some control. There's so many things we can't control right now, but I feel like this is a strategy that women can use to their hormonal advantage. Mm, I love that so much. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, for the most part, a lot of my community is after 35, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're they're starting to feel the feelings of perimenopause and things are shifting and changing. Definitely the weight is a concern, sleep mm-hmm. is a concern, lack of energy is a concern. And a lot of times women are just like, how do I navigate? Like you said, a lot of perimenopause hits a lot of us like a brick wall. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about intermittent fasting, I know, you know, clearly our hormones are changing on the daily. They're definitely changing throughout the month. Um, So I would love to break down so that, you know, kind of the nitty gritty of what does it look like for women to intermittent fast when they are at peak fertile years where their cycle is running like a fine tuned Mm -hmm. machine? And then what does that look like as we kind of saunter into that transition of perimenopause? And then I would love to even look at menopause as well, where women really feel at times stuck. And so that's what I would love to kind of tackle in the beginning, just so, because I know so many of my my listeners have daughters or are definitely in their early thirties, you know, where we have women in our community that are of every age. I think it's really important for us to understand that ultimately before the age of 35, when we're at peak fertile years, even if we are choosing not to have a child, our bodies are conditioned to really be very attuned to stress from the environment and internal stress, nutrition cues, et cetera. And so we're exquisitely sensitive to those cues. And so a lean peak fertile years woman may be able to fast for perhaps one or two days a week, or just do digestive rest, which is 12 hours of not eating, which could go from dinner to breakfast the following morning. And really leaning into the fact that the first two weeks of your menstrual cycle, if you have a 28 day, 30 day cycle, when estrogen is predominating. And so obviously I'm oversimplifying things in when estrogen predominates, we are in our superpower. We can push our workouts. We can push that fasting lever. We can allow for more hormetic stress, you know, beneficial stress in the right amount. But as fertile women get closer to getting their menstrual cycle, you know, that five to seven days preceding, that's the time to back off a bit, really either not fasting at all, or just doing that digestive rest at 12 to 13 hours, because our brain's in response to changing fasting and feeding windows are very, very attuned to the feast famine cycle. And so I I remind women, even if they're choosing not to have children at that point in their lives, their bodies are very attuned to food scarcity. And so when you're first starting to fast, if the first month or two, your schedule is a little bit wonky, I don't worry about that. But a sign that intermittent fasting is not working for you if you're at at this life stage is if your cycle goes away and you're not pregnant. That's, That's like an A number one rule. And so I like to use the menstrual cycle as a barometer of whether or not fasting is working well for you. So that's under age 35. Obviously, if you're a woman under age 35, it was weight to lose. You can push that fasting lever a little bit. It really depends on maybe you're doing it every other day, really remaining attuned to how you feel and where you are in your menstrual cycle. 
perimenopause and menopause is a whole other playing field. And this is a time I always say it's the litmus test. If you're taking care of yourself, you're going to breeze through perimenopause. If you are, you know, not if eating you were, the right if foods, you were taking care of yourself before as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I always say like what I did in my twenties and thirties was fine. But once I hit 40 ish, all of a sudden I couldn't exercise at the same intensity. That didn't mean that I wasn't working hard. I just couldn't do like CrossFit type exercises. It was too much combined with not enough sleep combined with, you know, eating inflammatory foods like gluten and dairy were fine for me when I was younger, did not work for me in my forties. And so I think it's, it's really important to understand that the lifestyle piece becomes much more important in middle age. So how much you sleep, high quality sleep, anti-inflammatory nutrition, stress management, and that is not two minutes of meditation. <laughs> that means you actually legitimately need to lean into that the right types of exercise at the right time. So a perimenopausal woman may start experiencing sleep disturbances, may start experiencing heavier menstrual cycles. And a lot of this is a byproduct of our progesterone levels are starting to falter. Our eggs are as old as we are. So if you're 40, your eggs are 40 years old. And so not every month, even though you may get a cycle, you may not be ovulating every month. Your, your body is starting to kind of, your fertility is starting to unwind a bit. Yes, many women still get pregnant in their 40s. I'm not saying that isn't possible, but it's important to understand the physiology. So if estrogen and progesterone are not properly balanced, this is also women have, I used to call them the crime scene periods. I used to pray I wouldn't get, I wouldn't start my menstrual cycle when I was a day I was running in the hospital because it was so heavy. It was nearly unmanageable, but you start getting heavier menstrual cycles, the weight gain, the breast tenderness, just feeling cranky, the lack of sleep. Sometimes people just feel like they have significant mood disorders. They're depressed, they're anxious, they can't figure out why. And so really understanding what's going on with the body. Again, the same thing applies. First two weeks of your menstrual cycle, from the day you start bleeding until before ovulation, you can push that fasting window. And this is a time when it may be very beneficial as women are starting to enter perimenopause. You know, Maybe you are fasting every day, but it could be 12 hours one day, it could be 15 the next, it could be 16 the next day, really kind of leaning into what is working well for your body. What's your energy like? What's your sleep patterns like? You know, how, what are you eating? Are you eating um, nutrient dense foods or are you eating highly processed foods, which can create um, further imbalances? And so for a lot of women, as they're navigating this, they kind of have these check-in points. And I use sleep as a barometer. I always say, if you can't sleep through the night, don't add in fasting. I use cravings as a barometer to kind of get a sense for are you giving your body nutrient-dense whole foods? Are you eating too many carbs? Here's another thing that kind of stinks about middle age is we become more insulin resistant as yes, we have we these- Yes, we do. Yep. And we're more insulin resistant in those seven days leading yep. up to our cycle, yep. right? And this that is a time, this is why it's so, it's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. You know, that first part of the follicular phase, you're talking about period yep. to ovulation. We have a higher pain tolerance. Mm -hmm. We have more stamina. We're less likely to fatigue. We are able to burn into those glycolytic reserves. Mm -hmm. We just have got more umph to like yep. push the envelope for I for intermittent fasting, even if keto is the thing you're looking to do. Mm -hmm. Like this is the time to stress the system. We move into that second phase and that last week, it's so fascinating to me that when you are the most insulin resistant is when your body is the most concerned about feast or famine. It's interesting that kind of advice to give women to be like, so by the way, you are really insulin resistant right now, <laughs> especially like double that up after 5 p.m., but your body's going to want you to eat 
carbs and you're just going to have to be really mindful around mm-hmm. the type of carbs that you're consuming in that seven days, day day 21 to 28, mm-hmm. however you land on that. No. And it, I think it's, it's helpful for women to understand like those PMS cravings are real, yeah. but you have to kind of lean into it. Like I'd rather you have sweet potato or yeah. some squash or some low glycemic berries than eating like chocolate cake. And Absolutely. Well, you and can, ice cream. Yes. That blood sugar roller coaster, especially that time of the month. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. In perimenopause, double it up. Yeah. You know? And it's, and I think for a lot of women, healthcare professionals are not talking about this, no. this phase. One time I had my yearly exam with my GYM was the same day my menstrual cycle had started. And I remember telling her my cycle's really heavy. Mm-hmm. And so before she could say anything else, she said, I can help you. The options were synthetic hormones and ablation an IUD or, oh, if you just want to get rid of this entirely, we'll just take your uterus out. And I was like, no, 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 and no. And and thinking about how many women I'm sure we both interact with on social media or or in programs that we we run that have been on IUDs or they had an ablation and then they have no idea where they are in perimenopause or menopause for that matter. Or put on the pill. Right. And then, and then at 56, they're still on it. And they're just like, am I, what, I'm not supposed to be on this anymore? I'm like, or they don't know they're even in menopause. Yep. And I'm like, oh, you've been in menopause. You know, you're just having pill bleeds. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so, so we don't educate women about their bodies. No. We don't educate women about what to expect in perimenopause and menopause. In fact, I've had to have arguments with people that are reaching out to me for press opportunities. There's no post-menopause. You know, it's either your perimenopausal peak cycling or your menopause. Menopause is its own entity. It's not post-menopause. It's 12 months without a menstrual cycle. So even the lay public is not clear on what these times are in a woman's life. And I think on a lot of levels, like perimenopause can be a wonderful time for a lot of women. I always say, if if you are part of the minority now and you are insulin sensitive, metabolically flexible, you may not even get a lot of perimenopausal symptoms. Um, which I think is a beautiful thing. And I, I jokingly always I just say, want to take a moment, Cynthia, and celebrate you real quick because there are so few people that understand that. That it is, this is that perimenopause in, in how it plays mm-hmm. out for you is metabolically yeah. driven. It's always on the sex hormones, mm-hmm. progesterone and estrogen. And, and not to say that they're not playing a big role and they're having a, they're having a big role in, in our metabolic health as well and our metabolic flexibility. And I do, I feel naturally these are meant to decline to, mm-hmm. to some degree. I mean, they definitely are declining. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get that just is going to happen to yep. you. That's just how it's going to go. But that that decline was never supposed to be a Mack truck moment as right. much. I find that where, where those hormones really mess with us is when we don't have that metabolic flexibility. Mm-hmm. We, we are not, we don't have the insulin sensitivity. And what we know to be true is that only 12% of the population have good metabolic function to begin with. You put that against women in perimenopause and that percentage is even lower. Yeah. I can say personally, I never experienced a hot flash per se. I would say like I had a spark. I got a sensation of what it must be like. I think 2018 was the first time that happened and I said to my husband, like, I, I've had patients tell me for years what a hot flash is like. So I, I think that I was getting like a micro mini hot flash. And it, I, I would get them if I was in too hot of an environment. It wasn't even necessarily blood sugar related. But I remind women, if we can keep your blood sugar well controlled, if we can make you maintain metabolic flexibility, you are not going to get them. No. And I, I find it really interesting. You know, I would say like in my 40s, it was a whole process of 
eliminating things like gluten and dairy and then ultimately alcohol during the pandemic. Cause I was like, I never really liked it. I didn't drink much. It's the only thing that gives me a hot flash and it's not worth oh, yeah. it. My sleep is so No, important. your liver is like, take that. Yeah. Hot flash. <laughs> take that night sweats. Exactly. You know, your liver, your liver is, I would say your liver is the key to, to hot flashes too. The, yeah. and, and everything to do with sugar. But yeah, you, you, you drink a half a bottle and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I would have like one glass of wine or one martini and I would just be wrecked. And I said, it isn't that good. <laughs> it isn't. No, it, it is, is not good enough, no, no, you know, to have to this experience. Yeah. So I, so I think, you know, when women are fearful of perimenopause, like I have women all the time and I'm sure they just do too. They're like mm-hmm. terrified of perimenopause. And I was like, you shouldn't be fearful of it. It really should be a wake up call to say, okay, like I'm either doing it right or I'm not. And you know, I'm living proof that I'm on the other side now. And I can honestly say like, I feel pretty darn good all the time. Like I kind of check in with my sleep quality. So the really cool thing about menopause is that all of a sudden we don't have these cycling hormones Mm -mm. day to day, month to month to the degree that we have when we're in our peak fertile years and perimenopause. So we can push the lever on fasting provided that we are getting that sleep in, that we are not over-exercising, that we're eating anti-inflammatory nutrition, we can really push the envelope just like men. So my menopausal women can fast every day. Uh, I'm not suggesting that people like do longer fasts every day or they're just doing OMAD, which is one meal a day. But those are the women that can really run with it because they don't have to lean into all that sex hormone circulating, uh, you know, issues. Now this isn't to suggest women in, in menopause make their own form of estrogen called estrone. We still make progesterone from predominantly from our adrenals. Our mm-hmm. ovaries may be squeaking out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, depending if we're lucky, we may still have some circulating testosterone, but I find most people don't. I find most women don't by 40. Yep. It's, that it's has been my experience. Yeah. yeah. I just did a whole episode on that. It was just, you know, we, that is, I would say precipitously testosterone is dropping as quickly as progesterone is. Yep. And you it's know? interesting because people are oftentimes surprised that yes, we do make testosterone, but it's so much more potent. So less testosterone can contribute to like weight gain around the abdomen. You can have trouble maintaining lean muscle mass or even mm-hmm. actually building it you know, forget about the libido effects. I always say like stress impacts libido, impacts testosterone, but it's important for people to understand that we just have these stag, you know, it's just this precipitous kind of decline. What I find interesting, um, and I'm sure you probably see this as well, is like like women who are not prepared after having a partial or a full hysterectomy that, oh, you're going to wake up in the next day and you're going to feel like you got hit by a truck because your hormones, it was just this precipitous it's like you got shoved off a cliff. I just interviewed a really well-regarded physician who's kind of a hormone expert. And he was saying, if, if this happened to men, they would never tolerate this. They no. would you know, be standing up and saying like, this should be the way things are. We should be educating ourselves about how to maintain you know, hormonal balance for as long as possible. And and I think every woman has to decide for herself if you choose to use hormones that you're not you know, shamed. And if you don't choose to, to use hormones, you shouldn't be shamed either. I think there's a lot of a lot of dogma. Obviously, a lot of it's not correct. But as women make that transition into menopause, I think fasting can be a whole lot easier provided that they're sleeping. And, and I always say sleep is foundational to our health. And yet it's also one of these super unsexy topics that, you know, the more I understand about sleep, the more humbled I am about how truly powerful and transformative it is. My mom was with me for about a week and um, we were tinkering with her melatonin and some other things. And it's really interesting how much like my generation, obviously your generation, 
we're helping change the narrative so that women have different experiences in middle age. They don't have to bear back it or just rough it out. You know, like my mom was saying, you know, the women's health initiative came out in 20, 2002 and like everyone she knew got taken off their hormone replacement therapy. And so, you know, I, I think as we learn more about what works for people, what doesn't work and just understanding that there are options, that there's no one size fits all. No. So for some people that may be the right decision for others, it may not be. And that's okay. I always say there's no judgment. No. It's just understanding that there are options and figuring oh, yeah. out what works best for you. I'm all for pulling all the levers. I'm all for pulling all the levers. I, I think that sleep Mm-hmm. Getting metabolically flexible, having insulin sensitivity, these are so critical. Mm-hmm. But if we can leverage bioidentical hormones to get us to a, a better place of harmony in our body, then I am all for it. Yeah. I don't think it's for everybody, but if why not use everything at our disposal to boost brain function, to boost mitochondrial function, to have that longevity, bring it, bring it on. Yeah. You know, well, that's my I, mindset. No. And I think it's interesting. Like I had been very like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And I felt like a light went on. Like, I, I think I'm cognitively very sharp, but I yeah, felt like when I, I first you started <laughs> taking progesterone and estradiol and testosterone, I was like, I felt like someone had turned a light back on. I was mm-hmm. like, wow. I think because our hormones start declining in our mid to late thirties, but it's very slow. And I think a lot of us that have children at that time in our lives, like I was 34 with my first and 36 with my second. I just assumed it was because I had little kids. Like I always yes. just wrote, I'm tired because I have little kids. I'm tired because I have a demanding job. Well, it was that too. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a combination. And then how do you like it's it's probably the last thing at the back of your mind mm-hmm. is you and the things that you got to do for you. Totally. You're chasing you're chasing boys around. Yeah, you know exactly, exactly. And I, I think for anyone who's listening, it's just entertaining the possibility that there are options. You know, figuring out for yourself your end of one, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. I'm not someone who likes anyone to be fear mongered, and that's uh, a source of endless frustration for me because I certainly, even as a clinician, I got bad information. I think about you know, there's this one size fits all philosophy, and I'm like, listen. We are all individuals. I have some women in my practice who do beautifully with transdermal, you know, skin absorbed options. I have other women that do horribly with those things and they need other options. And so I always think about like, as you said, brain health. Like I I read a book last year called The XX Brain that (laughs) scared the crap out of me. I was like, we really need to be talking about the physiology of these sex hormones and how they impact cognition because Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know about y'all, but I want to be sharp as a tack till I go out. You know, Mm -hmm. I I definitely want to be one of these people who remains insulin sensitive, metabolically flexible, health as healthy mitochondria as they can be. Mm -hmm. And one of many ways to do that is to really focus in on fasting as a strategy. Even if you don't even think about the hormones, even if that's not the right, the right piece for you, I would say my progesterone is critically integrative in my sleep quality. And so everything I I joke about it. I remember mm-hmm. before the baby, and you know, people talk about mom brain and I was like, Psh, mm-hmm. whatever. Like before the baby, I could do 10 interviews in a day, different yeah. topics, different whatever. And I could fire on all cylinders, 39, yeah. 30, 
40 years old and had Kingston and my brain, it wasn't even during the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. It was after the baby was born. It's like someone just took my brain out of my head, like jumbled it up really good (laughs) and tried to shove it back in there. And I had never known. I had the worst um, word recall. Like I, I, it was just gone. And I was, Mm -hmm. I was just praying and hoping that I would never be on an interview where I was in the middle of a sentence. And all of a sudden the word that I wanted just poof, just disappeared into the ethers. And I feel like right now I am finally barely coming out of that because we co-sleep with Kingston and I'm, I I can't tell you how many times I breastfed. I don't even know how many snacks we went, we and we had (laughs) last night. It was, my husband was like, was he up a lot? I'm like, what do you even know about that? Like you, like you were barely disturbed by it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's now it's, it's more the lack of sleep. It's, and finally hormones coming back online. But I was thinking to myself, like, if this is just a taste of what could happen to me in like a couple, a decade or so, I was, you know, just really reminded me of how critical hormones are to our ability to function neurologically um, in terms of memory, word recall, alertness, focus, all of it. And so, you know, I I really, I'm so glad we're having this conversation around even what is hormone, what what do taking hormones look like later on just just for the neurological benefit. But again, every woman is different. I super, Mm -hmm. super love that, that that is such a mindset for you. The other thing I just wanted to mention is that I'm really glad that we're having the conversation around perimenopause being, it can be such a really great journey. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that whether you like it or not, your body's going to change. Yeah. And you just got to decide you're going to get on the train and pivot with your body. Yeah. And I, I think on so many levels, and I mean, I'm certainly not perfect. I mean, I, I have days where I'm like, what in the hell is going on with my neck? Or where did my knees go? You know, what's going on? Because I had a big birthday last year, but overall, I'm really grateful for the fact you that look I, great. Oh, I, well, thank you. Let's you. just let's just call it out. <laughs> you are obviously doing the work of yeah. what you you are you are doing what you preach. Yeah. No, thank you. But but I think for each one of us, b- between like filtered images on social media or just nonsense we see online, you know, unattainable, unrealistic expectations for what women are supposed to look like at any particular stage of life, whether it's postpartum, whether it's when you're you're a hot MILF and you're 40 or you're 50 or 60 or whatever. Um, it's just the acknowledgement that we are going to change, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I'm so grateful that I'm at a point in my life where wisdom wise, like I'm very self-assured. I know where I'm going. Of course I have bad days. I mean, everyone does, but overall, I mean, I can think of maybe in the last 10 years, maybe one or two days where I had a little bit of like a mental like blip. And so it was clearly instrumental in one of those, you know, I'm definitely on the train for hormone replacement therapy because I was in between like transitioning from, I was working with one, uh, one doctor transitioned to another. And so I had to come off what I was on my estrogen and my testosterone And you can imagine like my body had been slowly petering off the estrogen and testosterone. And then I went back on. So it's like my body went back up and then I stopped and then it came crashing down. And I remember, this is kind of funny. I was heading to a mastermind event. I got on a plane. I got in the wrong seat, not once, but twice. Um, I then got to my hotel and I got off on the wrong floor, not once, but twice. And so it scared the bejeebers out of me because that's so not me. And I remember I went back to my room and like, you know, reached out to one of my you know friends in, in the group and just said, 
clearly my brain needs estrogen because this is clearly an estrogen driven issue. But I think for everyone that's listening, the acknowledgement that if you're taking hormones, you may have to kind of ebb and flow, like finding the right amount, finding the right route, finding the right doctor or provider to work with that can help honor you and, and your goals. Because I think that's so much of it is if anyone wants you to do one size fits all run, like run. literally run for the Hills. And I I've come to find, um, there obviously, there are obviously excellent male providers and by no means, um, knocking guys. I know I'm the only female in my whole house. However, when it comes to these kinds of issues, I find that women sometimes really understand, like either they've been through it or they're seeing a lot of their patients go there. And then, so they have a natural kind of inclination to want to be able to honor, you know, not only your objectives, but also their own. So really Mm -hmm. spend time, you know, talking to your provider about what your goals are, what you want to do and asking or ensuring that they're going to be able to honor what it is that you're asking for. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm on that train. I, (laughs) I I only have an all woman healing Mm -hmm. entourage. Women understand women. And again, not to knock that men haven't done their research and they're studying, Mm -hmm. but there's, there is, we're different. There's a deep knowing, you know, it's just like once you've given birth to a baby, oh, you get it. Once you become a mama, oh, you get it. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And, and, but you, as a woman, you get it. So I, I, I definitely shout out to all the women doctors out there and practitioners and coaches, you know, who really, who really get it. I shout that out. And I agree in terms of, you know, just figuring out what the right thing is for you. And I think that the same thing falls in with intermittent, with intermittent Mm -hmm. fasting of like, what does that look like? You know, we do, we do know a lot about how we can leverage intermittent fasting according to our, the barometer, the fifth vital Mm -hmm. sign, our menstrual cycle. But then also you got to just listen to your body and Mm -hmm. see how your body responds. That's going to be always key. But I think I always, that's why I always tell people, track your cycle, track your cycle, track your Mm -hmm. cycle. Because yeah. <laughs> you you have you'll know more. You you I feel like I once I started tracking my cycle, I just became more attuned yeah. to what my body was telling me. Because like your mama, like as she said, you know, gritting through it, pushing through it. That was just how I operated. I totally went against everything my body was saying, you know, those seven days leading up to my period. I'd always wonder why it was so much harder. Yeah. to do the thing that I normally would do, you know, a week prior, two weeks prior. And so I just was under the mindset of like, I just have to work harder during this yeah. phase. To my detriment, I got chronic fatigue and a thyroid issue, yeah. you know, because of it. And so really paying attention to our bodies, especially if we're still cycling, you really listening and adapting to, to that yeah, um, when it comes to intermittent fasting. Talk to me, Cynthia, about some of, one of the, some of the benefits that you experience doing intermittent fasting. What do you see with your clients consistently? Because um, I think a lot of women, they want to know kind of what they're going to experience, you know, maybe after they, they, they try intermittent fasting for like, let's say 45 days. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, it, you know, people are first and foremost, like, let's acknowledge the elephant in the room. People are curious about fasting because yeah. they want to change body composition. They want to yes. lose weight, but they are surprised by how good they feel. You know, mm-hmm. they have this mental clarity. I've had women tell me they feel like a light bulb went on in their brain, which is so sad 
Um, because we've been conditioned, you know, this dogmatic principles about, you know, stoke your metabolism and eat every two to three hours and breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And oh, by the way, eat dessert for breakfast because that's really going to serve your needs. So obviously with, with lowered fasting insulin levels, you're going to have improved mental clarity. You're going to have, as you become more fat adapted, you're going to break down ketones. And one particular one that diffuses across the blood brain barrier is beta hydroxybutyrate. So people just say, I feel amazing. Lots of energy, lots of mental clarity. You know, we reduce inflammation. So maybe you're dealing with joint pain. Maybe you're dealing with a sore muscle. Maybe you've got chronic pain issues that all of a sudden, as you have a reduction in inflammation, um, as you have reduced oxidative stress, as you kind of tap into autophagy, which is this waste and recycling process in the body that is upregulated when we are not eating. Here's the key. It's when we're not eating and that it's really upregulated. You know, we get rid of disease, disordered organelles, mitochondria, things that don't belong. It's like taking out our body's garbage. The reduction in blood sugar in insulin are improved biophysical markers, blood pressure, total cholesterol, high triglycerides, you know, triglycerides, HDL. And I remind people that, you know, one thing for me that my whole background as an NP for 16 years was in cardiology. And we start to talk about insulin resistance really permeates high blood pressure, the high triglycerides, the low HDL, like really understanding that these are all signs of a bigger problem, metabolic syndrome, uh, metabolic inflexibility. I think about our reduction uh, for uh, certain types of neurocognitive disorders. You know, women are protected from a lot of brain health issues until we go through menopause, largely related to that sex hormones that are waxing mm -hmm. and waning. So a reduction in neurocognitive issues, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and then also there are specific reproductive cancers and even colorectal cancer reduction in risk with fasting. So on a lot of levels combined with things like just improved in the gut microbiome, how many of us have terrible gut health? Like we don't even realize like there's this whole ugly word, it's called the estrobolome, but how women break down, detoxify and get rid of estrogen. It helps with uh, improving the epithelial layer of the small intestine. It can help with stem cell activation. It can be beneficial for, you know, again, helping with detoxifying, breaking things down. And unfortunately, the word detox has gotten a really bad rap that it's somehow it's this like woo-woo. I have to take 15 products. And I remind people that by the time we're middle-aged, for a lot of people, the cumulative net impact of things we're exposed to in the environment, personal care products and food can you know make that estrobolum, this estrogen-rich environment in the gut microbiome, it can really impact it in negative ways. So those are usually the things. The other thing that I would say, because this comes up often, is that women say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it wasn't normal to be, I didn't realize that bloating was not normal. I didn't realize that my stomach could be this flat because you're not eating all day long. You know, you're giving your body time to properly break down, detoxify, get rid of things that don't belong. And you're not doing this onslaught of food and, and sugary beverages all day long, which really overtaxes our digestive system. So those are usually the key points, but I would say it's really the mental clarity and the energy for a lot of people that is a bit of a surprise. The added benefit, and, and there's again, a lot of fear mongering around this, thyroid function, adrenal health, you know, whether or not these are negatively impacted by fasting. And I always say, if you fast in the right amount at the right time, it can be hugely impactful, especially for thyroid issues. You know, I myself have had an endobacter of thyroid and I tell people that, you know, what's one of the benefits of intermittent fasting is that we get improved mitochondrial efficiency. And that is because your body is getting rid of things that don't belong. So I do see a lot of improvement 
But the caveat and the dovetail to what I'm saying is the exception is that if you're doing too much at the wrong time in the wrong amount. So if you are the week before your menstrual cycle and you're trying to fast, you know, one meal a day and do prolonged fast, you're going to, that's too much stress for the body. If you're going through a divorce, you're going through a big move, you're going through some major life stress event, maybe that's not the right time to add in another stressor. And so the acknowledgement that it's all about balance, but we're not taught to balance things in that way. We're taught like, oh, life's about balance, but it's really honoring what the cues our body is trying to communicate to us. Like I know for myself, as an example, I wear an aura ring and there are days I just don't get this, the same amount of sleep day to day. Although I'm in bed, maybe I'm not getting as much REM sleep or deep sleep. Those are not the days that I go to the gym and like do a heavy workout. Those are the days I'll go for a walk outside in nature. And so I think we really have to be honest with ourselves about where we are in time and space. And then, you know, acknowledging that there are benefits for fasting that are not just related to changes in body composition. Cause that's what a lot of people come to out of curiosity, but there's so much more to it. It's just really scratching the surface. Mm, I agree with all of that. 100%. Like just kind of knowing, and I think that's why wearables are so wonderful too. Mm -hmm. I have a whoop strap on and I remember my husband wanting to get it for me. And I was like, I don't need a strap to tell me how little sleep I'm still getting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what I love about it, like the aura ring is that it tells you how much recovery, Mm -hmm. how much heart rate variability and what, what kind of room you've got for a workout you know, is it a walking kind of day? Mm -hmm. Is it you finally, you get to pick up those heavy weights today. And so I think that those, you know, I love wearables, you know, we don't all need a wearable to kind of know what's going on. You can just listen to your body. Mm -hmm. Um, But wearables, I think are, are definitely very, very beneficial. And you're right. Intermittent fasting at the end of the day is a very healthy stressor, but it's a stressor. You know, it's creating hormesis. Like you talked about in the beginning, one of the reasons why I think the mitochondria loves intermittent fasting is they're just like, stress me out a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think especially for us as women, because there's so much change and so much going on, you know, in that, especially in the realm of perimenopause, that transition into menopause, you think about with that time in your life, Cynthia, Mm -hmm. where you were raising your boys, they were rambunctious and they were moving, Mm -hmm. your career was taking off, your husband was traveling. Like a lot of times, some of the biggest things in our life some of the most important times of our life is in that transition. Mm -hmm. And your body is literally flipping on its head. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, just a lot of, I think grace is such a big part of that. You know, and I think we can do intermittent fasting with a lot of grace as well, mm-hmm. as long as we're in tuned. And I know for, I know for so many women, especially a lot of the high achieving women listening to this, is that you just want to push it and do it the hardest. That's not always the best yeah. at ever. For me, I even with, even with the intermittent fasting that I do, there are definitely days that it's just the 12 hours. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's that's just, okay. yeah. And that's, I think it's, I love that you bring up grace because that's something I talk about a lot and there's no shame. If you need to take a break, there's no shame. If you decide it's not working for you. And I do have women who will reach out to me. That'll say like, every time I try to fast, I don't feel good. Or mm-hmm. I, I really, really struggle. And I just say, well, you know, take a break. You know, you don't have to force it. And, and unfortunately we've been conditioned, especially as you mentioned, high achieving women, we just have to try harder. We just have to push harder. We have to push through it. And that used to be my mentality. I, I was actually saying to my mom, who used to be a CIO of a huge medical system before she retired, I was like, I don't know how you worked for years and years and years sleeping on three to four hours a night of sleep because I will put myself to bed. Like my family knows if I've had a really stressful day, I'll just go to bed early. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the work will always be there. And, and that's what I think a lot of people need to hear 
And it was one of the, when I was a new nurse practitioner a long time ago, one of my favorite cardiologists used to say, Cynthia, like, just go home. The work will always be here. And so oh, that's always. Yeah, well. you and know, the work's of, at home too, Cynthia. Exactly. Exactly. It's always <laughs> there. And I remind people that, you know, focus on the two or three things you have to get done every day and mm-hmm. let go of the rest because perfectionism will destroy your life. If you have to have everything be perfect, everything has to be perfect. Like you put that kind of pressure on yourself. It will like suck your soul out. I see Mm -hmm. far too many women, especially in their forties, fifties and beyond that really struggle with that. And so I was like, I gave up perfectionism a long time ago. It's like, it's not attainable. It's not healthy for me. Good is just as good as, you know, getting it done. And so, uh, you know, I, I tell my mom, you know, Italian mothers, they're very, you know, kind of like in, in everything. And my mom said, you don't make the boys iron their vineyard vines, t-shirts. And I said, no, I told them if they want to iron their t-shirts, they can do it, but I'm not doing it. So I was like, I just gave that up when they were old enough to use an iron. I was like, as long as you look nice when you go to church or whatever holiday we're celebrating, that's all I care about. If you want to wear wrinkly clothes to school, that's your choice. You get to a point where it's just too much. So let that stuff go. Mm, mm, I love that so much. Well, I'm so excited. I know that there, you know, the benefits for intermittent fasting are so great. I love that we touched upon menopause where we are more physiologically kind of like men at that point Mm -hmm. in our life, right? That we can definitely kind of push intermittent Mm -hmm. fasting a little bit harder in that particular phase. And I think a lot of women who've come onto the other side and are in menopause are like, whoa, gosh, the roller coaster was perimenopause. Why didn't anyone tell me that that was going to be the roller coaster? Why does everyone keep telling me that it's menopause? No, menopause where things ease up. Yeah, dialing in, figuring out what the right things are for you in menopause, but it's great if you need bioidenticals. What what does that look like for you? But this is a lot of my audience as well. Is like this is where you can actually put the pedal to the metal when it comes to IF and kind of figure out that sweet spot for you in menopause. And it's a lot of where women are struggling with the weight piece. They're struggling with a lot of those other pieces where this could really be beneficial. And what I love so much about the book, because as I mentioned, I read it all the way through, girl. <laughs> is I love a good plan. Mm-hmm. I love a good plan. I love I love good recipes. I you know, I just love I love what you've done with all of this. And um we actually made one of your recipes this week. Oh, um, it was the salmon one. Yum. Cuz we love Oh my god, I love salmon so much. One of my favorite fish. And I'm obsessed with broccoli. My my yep. little baby eats broccoli too. So we did the sheet pan salmon with broccoli and the lemon pepper butter. Oh, so yummy. And Yay. so, um, cause I was like, Oh, we need to do that. Like that was such a great, great reminder, but the, it's the plan. You make it feel so simple. You, you make it feel like it's so much grace. You can tell that that is a big part of your mission mm. is the grace of it all. If you have anyone listening, if you've been thinking about it and you've been looking for just the right blueprint, the right plan that felt aligned with you and how your body works, that gives you that grace, that really dives into how to make it work for you. This is the book. This is the book I want to get your hands on. And so Cynthia, honey, where do you want us to go to not only get the book, but to get all the goodies, all the goodies that you've got, that you have put together to just really make this so easy for us? Yeah, I would say probably the best place to start is my website. So www.cynthiathurlow.com. And it gives you the opportunity. You can choose the vendor if you want to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, or your local bookstore. And I do encourage people to give your business to your local bookstore if you still have one around because they really have struggled the last two years. 
Um, and there you will find lots of amazing resources. Um, what I love is that, you know, one of the book bonuses, one of my favorites is that the woman who wrote the recipes for the book, Beth Lipton, who I think is absolutely brilliant and so aligned with my kind of gluten dairy-free philosophy for mm-hmm. women um, overall, she supplied uh, additional recipes that are part of, you know, the book bonus. And so you get that as well as, you know, there's a webinar that we're actually doing tonight. And then there are other bonuses that will be available to your listeners, but I'm really excited. And this has been such a passion project. Anyone that knows me knows that anything I do is is really with service and intention that this is a, a, a book that's so needed. You know, we can't fast like men and we shouldn't have to apologize for it. Let's lean into our physiology and feel inspired and empowered to live our best lives and not feel confused. You know, I it's interesting. I'm the kind of person that I, I genuinely do interact on social media. It's not just my team. And some of the feedback that we were getting from other podcasts that I participated in, women just felt like really validated and heard. They're like, wow, like no one has talked about fasting in this way and is allowing me to see it from a whole different perspective. So I get to join other colleagues that um, are doing great work in the space. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to connect with you and your listeners. Mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and so excited for the release of this book. By the time this goes out, it will be available. So we'll steer everyone in that direction. And yeah, I just, you guys said, it's such a great, complete manual for leveraging our greatest asset. And that's our cycle. And then what that looks as, as, you know, as we enter every single phase. And I, I mean, it's just, I think it's our superpower. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I'm saying? Well, and, instead of, instead of feeling like we have to apologize for it, yeah. I mean, how many times throughout our lifetime have we been fa- made to feel like we have to apologize because we get a menstrual cycle? <laughs> it's, it's really unfortunate because I look at this so differently now than I did when I was a newbie nurse or a new nurse practitioner. And I'm like, gosh, this is, there's information in this book I wish I had in my 20s and 30s. I think it would have made a huge difference. It certainly would have made a hell of a difference in perimenopause. So on a lot of levels, I think that this book will resonate with women, whatever light stage they're in. I agree. Wait, Cynthia, honey, I have really quickly, I have some quick fire questions yep. that I keep forgetting about. My my, my, <laughs> my audience is probably like, sometimes she doesn't and sometimes she doesn't. What is up with that? So do you mind if we do them real quick? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So let's, um, the first one is, what is one thing you are deeply grateful for right now? Mm, I feel a lot of love and connection from people throughout my lifetime. So not just my childhood, best friends, my family, college, post-college, graduate school, uh, my entrepreneurial friends. I just feel deeply indebted and grateful for the love and support I feel right now. Mm, I love that. Ooh. Well, you got our support over here, girl. So, Thank so you. proud of you and the this, this incredible masterpiece of a book that you've written. What was something you've done that made you feel extremely happy in the last week? Oh, goodness. You know, it's funny. I went to a really hot yoga class. And for anyone that knows me, yoga is something I need to do, but it it requires me to put forth a lot of effort because it's not my natural inclination to like, you know, gear down. And so I found a yoga studio that has really hot yoga, but it's yin. And so for me to quiet my mind, (laughs) sit in a hot yoga class, it makes me feel like a badass. Like I feel so good when I leave. And then I'm actually so focused on how much I'm sweating that I don't think about how hot I am. I mean, it's really an interesting dichotomy. So I would say it's definitely 
the yoga because it's what I need to do for me. Mm, I love that. I have the same relationship with yoga. I'm yep. like, I could do a strength training class in 30 minutes. That would feel more better for me. And, and I'm like, girl, you need yoga. Be honest. Yep, exactly. Um, I love that. Um, what's one thing that about you that surprises people? Oh, I think people are surprised to know I'm an introvert. Like I am really an introvert. Like I could be I'm alone surprised. in a room. Yeah. Alone in a room with a book and be totally happy. And so for me during like a book launch, as you can imagine, it's like finding balance during my day. So it's creating little rituals for me to kind of, kind of go back into my introverted self and then be ready to, you know, do the, be, appear to be an extrovert. I always say like, I'm an introverted extrovert. I have this sense of like my public persona where people uh, assume I'm an extrovert. I'm not <laughs> actually very much an introvert. Hmm, you just know how to turn it on. Yes, exactly. Yes. I work it to my advantage. <laughs> what is a book or a film that you had recently consumed that had a big impact on you and why? I would say two. I read, I recently um, read Breath by James Nestor for the second yes. time uh, prior to interviewing him for the podcast. And I got more out of it the second time than I did on the first. And what really kind of blew my mind. And, and remember, like my whole background is critical care, cardiology, ER medicine, how simple breathing can be, but yet we make it so difficult. We really make it so difficult. The other book that I read most recently that really made a huge impression on me was Drop Acid. So uh, Perlmutter's book, which I read by, before I interviewed him. And everything I knew about uric acid got blown out of the water. So it completely like blew my mind from a kind of physiology perspective, like looking at uric acid as a metabolic health marker, that's really the big takeaway. So if you want to be metabolically flexible, knowing what your numbers are, and I don't read a lot of fiction. So admittedly, um, I'm, I'm reading a lot of books for my business or in my business or interviewing people, but those two in particular really stood out. Like they just completely flipped everything I knew, flipped it around. And that's the best way to be like being a lifelong learner and just saying like, wow, like what I learned before doesn't hold up in light of what I'm reading here. Mm, those are two. I read those as well. They're phenomenal. I totally recommend them. And then the last question, this is what actually prompted me to remember because you had said something and I was like, oh, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Oh God, I would have said, uh, stop putting so much pressure on yourself. I think I was so, like I was unusual. This probably won't surprise you, but I was unusual that at 18, I was very clear about my path. Like I'm going to go to college for this. I'm going to go to law school. This is the kind of law I'm going to practice. Um, I would have just allowed myself to experience more and not be so rigid. Like I was definitely like very tunnel vision. These are the classes I need to take to make my application enticing for a law school. And it then took me not going to law school, taking a couple of years out of college to go back and take pre-med classes. And I think if I had allowed myself the ability to be less rigid, I probably would have figured that all out sooner, but it all makes sense now. So I would say like stress, like just enjoy being 18 years old and having no responsibility and stop being so rigid. That's probably what I would tell myself. Mm, yeah. That was my big, big, big aha moment as well. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. We did it. Thank yes, you so much did. for coming on and I'm super excited for you. Congratulations again. Thank you so much. Let me tell you, I am the first to witness that frustration when our bodies are changing and we weren't given a plan to adapt to those changes. 
I hear this all the time. What worked for me three years ago isn't working today. Gosh, what worked for me six months ago isn't working today, right? And that's why it's so critical to listen to our bodies and to pivot when something isn't working for us anymore. In Cynthia's book, she dives into all the types of intermittent fasting and what to do when intermittent fasting stops working for you, when you hit that plateau, right? And if you would love to dive really, really deep into this, like really understand the nuances of intermittent fasting, how you can make it work for you, how you can, you know, adapt it to whatever phase you are in your life, I highly recommend grabbing this book. I've got it in the show notes. Again, it's called The Intermittent Fasting Transformation. I know it was a bestseller out the gate. It came out earlier in March. And it's, again, I read the whole thing cover to cover. I think it's phenomenal. And at the very least, you're gonna walk away with just an understanding about insulin resistance, metabolic flexibility, and just knowing how our bodies work and how what we eat and how we eat impacts our hormones in a really big way. So again, I'm going to have the link in the show notes for you to go and check it out. And again, as always, thank you so much for listening into the Essentially You podcast today. This show is all about providing tools to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. If there's someone that needs to hear this, go send a screenshot to them via text message or put it in a WhatsApp, whatever you love to do. If you share it on social, hashtag hormone literacy or hormone CEO. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.